0: Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Emily Danielson, and it is Wednesday, which means we are bringing you our long-form teaching. Now, last week, Chris took us into God's Word, and he asked the question and talked a little bit about, who are you? This week, he's going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's going to look at the question, who are we? We being the Church of Jesus Christ. So here is Pastor Cress. All right, I got to explain the shirt or you guys won't listen to me for 30 minutes. Um. (laughs) We uh, were blessed on June 3rd of this past year. One of our covenant partners, Christian Orr, is a season ticket holder at the Royals and my beloved Minnesota Twins were in town. And he said, I want to gift you these tickets. And so Emily and I, for the first time, were able to go to Kauffman Stadium, which we've always appreciated from afar, and hey, one thing led to another, and pretty soon we've got a bet going. Christian Orr and I have a bet that whoever's team finishes on the bottom of the division, the other one would wear their team's jersey to church. <laughs> and the twins lost by one game. <laughs> One game, the Royals finished one game higher than the Twins, and so Christian Orr is not in a vintage Harmon Killebrew Minnesota Twins jersey this morning, no. I stand here as George Brett today. And this merges on the Sunday where the message is entitled, Who Are We? And so the little uh, caveat that you must know, and I must tell you this, is that if this was a Derek Jeter jersey, it'd be totally different. I've always loved George Brett. Everybody in Minnesota loved George Brett. In the 85 World Series when the Royals won, we were celebrating because we'd never had anything but a last place team for 15 years. It wasn't until Kirby Puckett came the next year that we went on to go on our World Series runs. So anyway, I, uh, I just thought we'd get that out of the way so that you can all just now focus on what God's going to talk to us about. And a lot of it is about keeping your word. God keeps his word with us, and we're going to keep his word with what he's given us. That's who we are. So when we ask the questions, who are we? uh, Being a man of my word and fulfilling an obligation uh, from a, a, a ridiculous baseball bet, it's a good example. Another thing that I do is I don't like gambling money. I think that there's a lot of things that the Bible speaks about. I think Jesus speaks about that. But what I do like to bet is steak dinners. Do you know why I love to bet you a steak dinner? Because no matter who wins, I win. Because every time I've lost a steak dinner and I've had to pay up, it's always been a glorious time to break bread with people. I don't make steak dinner bets with people I don't enjoy. And so if I lose, I actually win. I get to take somebody out for a steak dinner or have them over to the house for a steak dinner. And if I win the bet, (laughs) I do like my meat. (laughs) So it's with that in mind that I want to talk about being members or part of the body of Christ. So who are we? Let's stand together and read our text for today. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Now, as we read God's Word, if you can, you can count them if you want. I'm going to tell you what the number is when we're done. But just listen to every time you hear one of three words, member, part, or body. All right, this is the Word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts... And all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, Is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be seated, please. Now I didn't expect you to keep count, but if you did, 36 different times in 16 short verses... Christians are referred to by God as members or parts of a body. That is how God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes Christians as individual members of a greater body where everybody has a different part to play in the body. It's a beautiful picture of the church and every follower of Christ plays a role in it. Now, it is at this point that You'll often hear folks say, yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm part of the global body of Christ. And, you know, that's what the church really is. And everybody who believes in, in Jesus is, is in his kingdom. And I don't necessarily need a local place to go because uh, I'm part of the bigger picture. You know, that's what's most important. Is that actually what the Bible teaches? No, I don't think it is. No, it's not. So let's back up a minute. And let's look at the overall question today. When you start to ask the question, who are we, as in who are we as a church, as a gathering, as a building on 2nd Street in downtown Abilene, Kansas, the question will kind of surround the question, why, as in why are we here? What do we do? How do we do it? Basically, who are we? So... I want to start even a little further back than that and ask you a question. Why a church? What's the point of becoming a member of a church so you can vote in board meetings? That kind of seems lame. Doesn't seem to be worth it. So what happens is, is people all across this great land, what they do is what I call they flirt with the church. Sometimes different churches. Sometimes we date a church for years and yet never commit to one local body. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think we start with the fact that we're free Americans. You know, we're free to do whatever we want. We can flirt and date with the church and never really commit. There's so many things we can do in our lives like that. On one hand, we are a self-made, self-reliant, self-sufficient people. We're pretty independent people. We live in a very individualistic culture. You go old school, those people didn't want anybody's help. I mean, that's kind of honorable, isn't it? But at the other hand, the thought of mutual commitment, submission, Accountability in a church, it seems foreign and quite honestly frightening and quite honestly to people like my father and his generation where you just didn't ask for help, it's unnecessary to many of those types of folks or many of us that still hold that mentality. Truth be told, a lot of us are skeptical about a church and I'm guessing many of you uh, that might fall into this camp may have experienced hurt in the church Maybe you've been burned in some way. So you're pretty guarded. There's a lot of, lot of Americans feel this way. They're, they're skeptical of any institution. They look around and the world and they sadly see, truthfully, even in the church, you see scandal, corruption, abuse. So the thought of commitment to an institution like a church, it feels off. It feels eh. Just in general terms. I mean, to have a place where Jesus is glorified and we're supposed to submit to it, have mutual accountability, I don't, I don't need that. And then if you think about those who don't even follow Christ, who don't even know what it means to have Jesus as the preeminence of their life, it almost sounds cultic. It almost sounds like it's, it's, it's like an evil cult. See, in the end, we're really safe in our independence. So many of us choose to keep our distance. Oh sure, there's a lot of folks that know they need Jesus in their life. Some of them, I even explained last week, are carnal Christians. They are saved. They they did ask Jesus into their life. They transferred that trust, but then they live out in a flesh nature. Some who are around the church are even part of that natural man I explained last week. That's why last week had to come before this week. You must understand the three different people as we go through the message today. There are carnal folks who will flirt and date the church because they remain bent on their independent right in the middle of the sacrifice of Jesus, which calls us to do otherwise, to block out what they need to do as a submissive person under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And instead, they want to hold on to their independence and they want to hold on to the fact that I don't need anybody but me. I can make it on my own. I take care of my family. I provide i 'm telling you right now, you see the memorial I have behind my desk of my father, uh, next to Jesus, greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth, but he wouldn't let people help him. When we were little, one time I remember I remember being told I kind of remember it, but I was pretty small. Uh, we ate oatmeal for nine straight days. that 's how poor we were. In fact, when I was an infant. My crib sat next to the stove, which sat next to my mom and dad's bed. One day my mom, you know, got up and slipped and fell out of bed and hit her head on the stove. That's humble. But my dad said he was going to earn it. So when he came to know the Lord in 1978 and he submitted his life to Jesus Christ, all of that opened up that he knew that there was something different. And I'm going to break it down into three points for you today. See, there is something blocking the true life when called into the church. And that's going to be my number one point today out of the three. And we're going to go through all three. And I want you to understand who we are. Not who we want to be. Not who Chris wants us to be. Not who Ethan or Bill or any of the other board members want us to be. But who we are. Number one. A big block, stumbling block to the true life of a church is the consumer reality, the consumer reality. See, when someone plays around with the different churches because they can't decide on which one they really like, it's like that consumer mentality to the church. We're shopping for the best possible package and the best possible price for Sunday morning. I like the music here. I like the preaching there. I don't like the preaching there, but the kids' programs are good. I, I, I like this. I don't like that. They didn't, nobody greeted me but the pastor when I came into this church. You know, uh, the pastor, he's kind of, he's kind of standoffish. You know, I, I need a pastor that's going to be more relatable. Oh, the music there, you know, it's just, you know, the, 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 the band is like casting crowns. I, I love it, but the rest of the, you get what I'm saying? We're wired to always look for the better deal, which often leads to a critical attitude toward the church. We can't find something wrong with the church when we look at it, then we're not paying attention, because you can find something wrong with every church you look at. I don't care who they are or what they are. If you have that mentality, you will find it. And then you will pick at it. And then it'll grow into something more significant than what it would have ever meant to be. And as soon as we begin to settle down into one place, we become cognizant of all the things we don't like because of our consumer mentality. I call it the spiritual, let me talk to your manager. Another thing that people like to do in the consumer mentality is they like to privatize their life to the nth degree. They they feel that they need to limit their vulnerability in walking out in faith. So you'll hear some supposed maturity-type spiritual statement coming from somebody who wants to think that they're advanced in their faith, but they're not a member of the church, and they say, I don't need to commit to a church. I can grow in Christ and accomplish more for Christ doing things on my own without membership in one church. People will say, I love Christ, I just can't stand the church. Almost as if that's like a good thing. Like they've somehow battle-scarred, and they're above it. I love Jesus, I'm serving Jesus I just don't want nothing to do with that church That church has hurt me, it's an institution It's full of this, that, and the other thing It's like, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying That You hate the bride of Christ Can you imagine what it would be like If somebody came up to you and said "Yo, I love you bro, You're, you're the best I just can't stand your wife Would you take that as a compliment? Would you think that person's better? See, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Sometimes we chum around with the church because our view of the church is incomplete. Many people today have reduced the church to a place where you go to hear a sermon. You don't really expect more than that, and you wonder, why do I need to commit myself to that? Others struggle to commit to the church because we're inundated with all kinds of things. You know, we got job pressure. We've got Sunday school pressure. We've got traveling teams. My kids are in sports. They, they travel sometimes on Sunday. And our lives get so busy that our, it gets easily choked out. When our kids were young, there was a church that started a Saturday night service. I called it the NFL service. Because you could go there on Saturday night, and then Sunday you could just be left alone because I'm tired. And I could just turn on the football game and Chill. We're tied up in all kinds of stuff. That's reality. And so now you add to it many churches like this one, many churches like us, truly, 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 truly want to meet you where you're at. And so we don't take attendance here. We want to meet you where you're at. And so it's easy for people then to take advantage of that and simply float. Simply float along. So how do you authentically, biblically evaluate involvement in a church? I think about it when I fly and you get to the end of the flight. It's every time. You've got a lot of choices when you fly. Thank you for choosing Delta. And guess what they say on American? You've got a lot of choices when you fly. Thank you for choosing American. Didn't we fly United recently? You know what they said at the end of their flight? You've got a lot of choices when you fly. Thank you for choosing United. Now, I don't know who wrote that, but they should have copyrighted it, okay? Because everybody uses it. And what they're saying is they're saying, you have options, and yet you chose us. And churches are very aware of that. And they say, we know you have other options in church. No one is forcing you to go to this church or another for that matter. And you know you have the freedom to not go to church because you've got busy lives. And if you choose to go, you've got an array of locations and terms and service times and denominations. And so churches start to cater to that mindset. In fact, let's be honest. We all have to cater to that mindset at least a little bit. We have to. But what happens if the covenant is not in play? What happens when it's not in full play? Here's what happens. And it usually starts with the leadership. They start down a path with good intentions of attempting to put solid strategies in place and then cross over into a full-on consumer catering mindset. Let me say that one more time. Don't miss this. Some churches start out down the path of good intentions, of attempting to put in solid strategies in place and then cross over into a full-on consumer catering mindset that is not the true church of Jesus, the authentic bride of Christ, and what it's actually about. And I'm here to testify. Lifehouse Church was guilty in that manner and in that mindset. I found it in abundance when I first got here. It was exposed after Clean Slate Sunday and Relaunch Sunday. Yet people here with their arms folded would say, well, we'll give it some time and then decide if we want to stay. I, th- I thought that was based on You know, we'll give some new time to see if the new pastor preaches the truth, or we'll give it some more time to see if the church responds in love to the new uh, arrangement after COVID and the recent put the past behind us. Uh, You know, as if it was an authentic spiritual journey on their part. I was wrong on many accounts. I share this only because I want us to learn from it. I want us to absorb it so we can be stronger for such a time as this. The storm is coming. Turns out many from Lifehouse were not at all interested in the true workings of Christ, honoring, gathering, and partnership together under the promises and blessings of God. No, they were interested in their immature, carnal, consumer church mentality. And there are some folks that are still here that are growing in Christ that have rejected that, and God bless you. I look across this this auditorium today and I'm so happy so many of you are here. And I counted at least 15 people that I know are going to stay with us that are coming here that aren't here today. So as a church plant, we're in great shape because that's what we're going back to is an authentic church plant. Now, how could I say that? Why would I say that? Because this is the time when we're going forward And we're going forward with authentic Christian covenant partners and authentic Christian regular attenders and authentic Christian first-time visitors. And our job is to feed the lambs. And when we feed the lambs, if they've got the consumer Christianity and the carnal nature, it's not going to work out for them. We will do all we can to love God, love others, and be the church. And so I say all that based on their testimony and behavior as well as point number two today. Point number two is the biblical reality. I don't have any problems being honest. I was wrong. I lost a bet. I'm wearing the Royals jersey. I'm not the perfect guy. But let me tell you, I can tell you what a biblical church looks like. And I can tell you that if we authentically love God, love others, be the church, it's going to be a cool place to be. And when I looked at you all a year and a half ago, I saw, and I said this last week, please understand, the status of station in life and who drives what and who wears what clothing and who has tattoos and who doesn't and who has their hair this way and who doesn't and who makes this much money and who doesn't. All of that at Lifehouse was gone. That's a beautiful thing. That's a huge advantage in this thing that we're talking about as who we are. But that also can be counterfeit. That also can be a thing that turns into a status. See, if you go to biblical reality of what it means to be a church, the word church in the New Testament, the Greek word is ecclesia. And that Greek word literally means gathering. It refers to a gathering of believers. Yes, there are times when the New Testament refers to gatherings of all Christians, not just in the world, but of all time. That's the global church, and we're all a part of that. I get that. But the most of the time when the word ecclesia, the word church, appears in the New Testament, it's referring to a group of specific Christians in a particular location. I want to break it down so there's no confusion, out of 114 times that we see Ecclesia in the New Testament, at least 90 of them refer to specific local groups of believers. Easy example, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sophanes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints, and all those in every place who call in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and others. Did you hear that? Paul said, To the church of God that is in Corinth. That's a reference to a specific group of believers in a local church in Corinth. And then note that they say, Call to be saints together with those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reference to the global church, right? But this letter wasn't written generally to every Christian in the world in the first century. It was specifically written to the church at Corinth. If you look right before this in your Bible, if you just turn back a few pages, the end of the book of Romans, we read this in Romans 16, verses three and four. It says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. You follow that? That reference at the end of the church, it's not just a city, but it's actually a gathering. Right before that, you see the churches of the Gentiles. You see the same thing over and over. This is obviously a small sampling, but the picture we have in the Bible over and over is one of local groups of believers, and particularly places called churches. Notice that they are not called parts of the church. They're called churches. It's the bride of Christ which is why it's so important that those of us, especially in leadership, follow biblical principles in leading the flock. Who are we? We are surrendered believers, servants of Christ, attempting to be servants of Christ with the preeminence of Jesus Christ over us, and we exist to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep, anyone who walks through that door. And how do we do it? Well, the primary emphasis of the New Testament, the local churches, the local bodies of Christ, to which individual followers of Christ belong, they did it in a covenant way. Point number three, a covenant reality. It's a covenant reality. So let's start this last section to bring it home today by looking what's behind the word covenant. From the dictionary, just a dictionary.com, boom, covenant. It says it's an agreement usually formal between two or more persons to do or not do something specified. It even has the word ecclesiastical, which means for religious purposes the word covenant is always used. What is that definition? It says this, a solemn agreement between the members of a church to act together in harmony with the precepts of the Gospels. That's at dictionary.com. See, by its definition, a covenant is much deeper than simple membership because in prayer one day last fall, as I shared a little bit, maybe too much, maybe not enough, I don't know, but I shared a little bit just a few minutes ago about what I was seeing, what I was experiencing. The idea came to me that this is what this fellowship needed. And the leadership here agreed. We would become covenant partners instead of church members. And by definition, this creates a stronger environment in which the church could operate from. Why? Because covenant is based directly on biblical examples. You take dictionary.com, you take the biblical examples, and what we're trying to do is create a more fortified wall for the storms that are coming. If you got a hurricane coming, and you only have an opportunity to protect a third of your house, or you could lightly protect it with like plywood, which one would you choose? It's hard to get your mind around that because I believe with all of my heart that God called us here and that some of you are called here to be covenant partners and together we're going to stand. And it may not be a lot of us, Maybe a thousand of us. I don't know. I don't know how many lambs God's going to put in the sheep pen, but whoever's there, we're going to feed them the truth. And we're going to do it in a covenant manner. See, if you just just do a quick search on uh, covenants in the Bible, you know what you find? You find, what are the seven covenants in the Bible? The next one, what are the ten covenants in the Bible? Hey, I saw comments about the six covenants in the Bible. What are the eight covenants in the Bible? You getting the theme here? Well, I told you about the covenant in Joshua chapter 9 and 10 with the Gibeonites. Set that one aside. I believe there are five. There are five covenants which we base our covenant existence with each other on. And that starts with the big one that many of us in this room have already done. That's the covenant of marriage. That's a covenant. But there's five explicit covenants that form the backbone of the scriptures, and that is that God makes covenant with Noah, he made covenant with Abraham, he made covenant with Israel, he made covenant with David, and then the new covenant that's found in Jesus. And all of these keep the narrative moving around until you get to the climax of the story, which is Jesus. And so the idea of covenant partnerships instead of church membership is my thought on how to intentionally, directly, you can't miss this if you're paying attention, combat the consumer mentality that has come to American churches. The idea of evaluating a church by what you get, like you do with any goods and services, what am I getting, what what should I get from the church? There's a consumer mentality that's asking, how can I serve Christ and his people? And that crushes that. That consumer mentality, what do I get versus the covenant reality of how can I serve Christ and his people? What are the ways that I can be a blessing to the people of God? Every person that refuses to go to church because their faith is a personal matter and they're by themselves is denying the body of Christ their talents, their time, and their treasure. And God may want to use them. And where does he always use people from? A local church. I can look across the landscape of the Christian industry, particularly in music. And every musician that we have run into that has an album, has a number one song or whatever, that is deeply rooted in their local church, has a stronger testimony. Almost every time. Have you ever heard of the group Phillips, Craig, and Dean? Do you know that every one of them are pastors or worship pastors? Do you know that since their song started hitting, they refused to do concerts on Saturday night because they wanted to be home to be part of their church body? Do you realize that they don't really care if they sell another record or not? They just want to praise Jesus. And by praising Jesus, if they can sell more records, God bless them. Do you see the difference? we got to stop evaluating the church by what we get versus how we can serve and be a blessing to God's people. And it's amazing what you do end up getting when you have that attitude. See, the Bible says to be salt and light. How do you do that? You conjure it up, you put a strategy in place. No, you surrender to Jesus. He says if you really want to live, you have to die. You die to self. And once you die to self, He gives you eternal life, which starts now. And you start living out for the next world to come. And you start blessing everything that happens in this world. You start living for this world, you start blessing nothing. I'm just telling you the way it is. I didn't make the rules. That's just how it is. I shared an article from a guy named Jonathan Lehman, who I do not know, in August to the leadership. At a board meeting, I shared with him this article. And It was to double down on what we're doing here and why we're doing it. Just to ensure that we're all on the same page, because I felt like for a while maybe we're working on different playbooks. So we're coming back to the right playbook. Last week, if you want to know, is an extension from the new wine skin, new wine concept, to last week identifying the three people. It's all on YouTube if you want to look it up. It's also on the Bible Idiots podcast if you want to look it up and listen to it. And that goes into today, who we are. See, this article talked about your citizenship in heaven and your covenant partnership then at Lifehouse Church is what? It's a passport. It's a declaration that you are an official, licensed, card carrying, bona fide Jesus representative. This is characterized by church affirmation over your commitment and oversight of the Christian discipleship and living out his or her submission to Jesus and the care of their fellow believers in the fellowship. Get it? Probably went fast. Let's do it again. Just listen now. You are a card-carrying, passport-holding citizen of heaven. You're a Jesus representative based in this church and your church affirmation over your commitment and oversight of the Christian discipleship. In other words, you're saying, this is the place I want my Christian discipleship to live, be lived out, and these are the people that I want to have oversight over it. And we're living out mutual submission to Jesus with each other. And we have care for our fellowship, fellow believers. We're caring for each other in that way. So we added on an official certificate. I added that certificate not to be cutesy or kitschy, I added that certificate to drive home the point, the seriousness of it, and then have folks take an oath in front of the congregation. It's a big deal. I got a couple that are regular attenders who have had their certificate made and at the last minute they said, whoa, hold off, I need a few more weeks to pray about this and think about this. Do you know that's one of the best things that's happened to me as a pastor of this church? That means they understand the seriousness of what's going on here. I've got another couple really cool people who may not ever be able to be covenant partners because of a couple of things that might be holding them up. But they know this is where they need to be. That's great. That's better than being a covenant partner who don't understand what you're doing and then you break covenant willy-nilly. Covenant partnership, in other words, is all about this church taking specific responsibility for you. Simultaneously, you are taking specifically responsibility for the church. So if anybody were to ask, where is church membership in the Bible? They're not looking for a covenant partnership. They're not looking to be together under the preeminence of Jesus. They're looking for something like a club to join. Clubs, political parties, labor unions have memberships. Clubs begin with a common point of interest. Service providers begin with a common need or desire to be fulfilled. Churches have this, but we have something more. We have a king who requires the obedience of his people. The church begins with this fact. Jesus is the Savior and Lord. He has died on the cross for the sins of everyone who would believe and follow him. The Bible doesn't talk about church as some folks think it does. It displays clearly how God's people gather together under his supreme rule and we're interested in citizens of the kingdom, not club members. Don't miss this. From the non-Christian's point of view, a local church is a voluntary association. No one has to join. From the standpoint of a true Christian life, truly joining is not an option. And when I say truly joining, I don't mean that you have to be a covenant partner, but you commit at the level where you're at. Somebody walks in the door, they've been saved for 10 minutes. They don't need to be a covenant partner to be part of us. We'll embrace them and they embrace us. But you have to choose to be part of Christ's kingdom, which is the local church. And once you choose Christ, you got to choose his people too. It's a package deal. Look, when you put it all together, you realize the Bible is flying straight in the face of American individual and all the skepticism, and to be honest, straight in the face of much of our contemporary church culture. It's begging every follower of Christ to ask the question, where have you committed as a part of a local church? It's not asking, was your name on a roll somewhere or where did you attend worship or listen to a sermon? No, it's not, it's not a club membership. It's where did you commit to be part of the kingdom of Christ as he had his bride expand the gospel under the preeminence of Jesus' lordship and you were a part of it? Where, where was that? Last week, in my time here, there's been some special moments. And I don't want to rank them. But Roxy dissolving her covenant partnership was one of the greatest moments of my ministry. And I'll tell you why. Because her and I, along with Emily, along with Austin, her husband, we talked it out. We prayed it out. We looked at it and took it seriously together. It wasn't willy-nilly. And she said, and this goes back two, three years. It's not just recent stuff, that there's been stuff that she's been struggling with. And just how this went down and that went down. A lot of it you guys don't even know about. And she said, and I know it's, I don't think it was confidential, but she said that for this time in her life, through prayer, through her covenant partnership with the kingdom, which included Lifehouse Church, that she wanted. Some time away to do different things. She felt called to do different things. She mentioned Jared and Betty and Ethan, and that the grandkids get to be with grandma and grandpa. She wants to go to church where her parents are for a while for Isla. That's kingdom honoring blessing her out the door, leaving the door open for her to come back. That's what we do. In fact, everyone who's ever stood here and taken the oath of covenant partnership, the door will remain open for you because here we feed his sheep. And I don't care if you are a carnal Christian. I don't care how, how bad you've hurt things. You are welcome to come back and be with us because we serve Jesus. We don't serve ourselves. But we had a person didn't, didn't bend his arm, didn't twist him, on his own volition, looked into a camera, not once, not twice, three times, and gave his undying commitment to this fellowship that God had called him here and he'd be willing to die here. And he's no longer with us because it would tick off the lady across the street who watches his cat when he travels. My heart breaks for this person. My heart breaks for them. Because that's not what this is. This and who we are is committing to a gathering together with a group of believers where we're mutually submitting to the word of God to one another. We're we're giving together. We're caring for one another. We're taking responsibility. We're helping members of the body grow in faith. Basically carrying out the functions we see in scripture of a church together. Together. So I wrote and spoke and developed an option for those of us who know the time is now to link arms for the storm that is coming. And I hit the leadership board with the name Covenant Partnerships. And they agreed. And here we are. That's what a covenant partnership is. You know... I read uh, a little thing earlier about a lady. She's a, a blogger in Christian space. And she was talking about the importance of small groups. But before she did, she said, the best thing that I did was I tried to search out and find a church that is vibrant, alive, and relevant. And then out of that, the small groups. And out of that growing stronger in the Lord. And those words hit me. Vibrant, alive, and relevant. Do you realize how easy it is to counterfeit vibrant, alive, and relevant in today's culture? And I just laid it out for you with three easy points that if we want to keep Jesus as the forefront and and the Lord and Savior of our lives and of this church and we're doing life together because of him, that the vibrancy, the aliveness, and the relevancy of this church will happen by osmosis? It'll just happen. And we're already seeing it. We're already seeing it. And that's why the furnace room is so important. Because if you want to think of one thing that you can hold a gauge out and say, hmm, we're doing well, or it's prayer. Every Thursday, I meet with anywhere from four to eight other pastors, depending on who shows up, every Thursday morning at KJIL. And we are praying for revival. And at the end of prayer time, one of the pastors said, I don't know, he, he he was quoting somebody, I don't remember who he was quoting, but he said, Revival will come when prayer meetings out-attend Sunday morning worship. Wednesday prayer meetings out-attend Sunday morning worship. And I immediately said to him, I said, I, in my lifetime, one time that happened. One time that happened. you know when that was? That was Wednesday, September twelfth, two 2001. That night, every church was packed in this country. Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take devastation? Is it going to take desperation? Because those are the two things that get people praying. Devastation and desperation, those are the two things that people just, they pray. Look around our our world. We're there. It's time to pray. Church, for me, starts at 9.30 every Sunday morning with the furnace room. We're going to pray for 15, 20 minutes and we're going to go get a cup of coffee and come back. The band's going to take the stage and we're going to worship God. I've been trying to get the prayer thing going with the kneeling at the altar for five minutes in the middle of a church service. Instead, let's just start beforehand. Can you come to an hour and a half of church? Church starts at 9.30 with the furnace room. You can come at 10, that's fine. But you know what happens if this furnace room takes off? This room will be filled with people praying before the church. It's going to spill out into the life of pie. It's going to spill out into the prayer walks. I want to see us get back into the prayer walks. I want us to be a praying covenant people. Why? Because there's a storm coming. And it's coming for you. Jesus says, in those days will I even find faith on the earth when I return. The Bible also says, that I will have to shorten the times or even the elect would be deceived. It's coming. I don't know how long it's going to tarry. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know this. The ruling authorities in Washington, D.C. right now hate Christianity with a hatred that I have not seen in my lifetime. So what shall the righteous do? My answer is we pray We covenant partnership together and we stand alongside each other come hell or high water. And we do it because Jesus first loved us. And I freely admit, I'm not my dad. I need help. And I freely admit, those of you that need help, I want to help you. And that's what we do here. That's who we are. Let's pray. Father, speak to your children. Grow us stronger every day. Oh, Lord, you know we grow stronger in harmony and unity and together. Three strands not easily broken. What about 50, 60, 70, 100 covenant partners? How strong would that be? Let us have forgiveness in our hearts. Let us truly have that door open to anyone and everyone. Let us err on the side of grace. Let us walk humbly. Let us love justly. And let us do mercy. Lord, I love because you first loved me. Let it grow in each and every one of us here today. Be with us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661 Abilene, Kansas 67410 or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.